0: Howdy friends, I hope that you're doing well and that you're coping through what could be the most challenging year we could ever face as humans. Through a year that's had so much adversity and possessed so many enormous challenges, let's recap some of the positives. We have truly appreciated human connection and realised how vital it is for us to survive. We have banded together and created movements to support small business. We've looked at gratitude in a light never seen before. Our environment has had a chance to breathe and we've started to realise the impact that our human behaviour can have on this great planet. But most of all, we've slowed down. Could this have been the wake up call we all needed? Could this be the year that we change our actions for good? I truly believe that on the other side of enormous challenge comes great growth and personally that's exactly what this year's done for me. For anyone that is new to the show, my name is Matt Zapala and I am your host. I am a qualified personal trainer and currently studying a Bachelor of Health Science majoring in nutrition. This platform, the weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast, is a judgment-free zone where I engage in thought-provoking chat. Hopefully igniting a spark within to help you guys be happier, healthy, more conscious humans. This week's special guest is doing exactly that. This incredible woman needs no introduction because she's touched the hearts of many. Kat John has been through some extremely tough times throughout her life and nevertheless has come out the other side this bubbly, vibrant, kind, magical human who touches many souls each and every day. Today's episode is extremely insightful as Kat provides us with tools and resources on how to cultivate your best life. We also speak about the incredible movement that has the world shaking their body every Tuesday, and that's the zero fucks movement. Every Tuesday, Kat encourages you to get rid of the voice inside your head telling you that you're not good enough to free your shit and dance away the stress. We could all use a little mood booster right now, so go on, move that body. I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to share Kat's journey with you all today, and I had goosebumps the whole time. Well, that's all from me, friends. I'll see you on the other side. Kat, John, welcome to the weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast.
1: Thank you. It's awesome to be here, Maddie.
0: Grateful to have you on the show, Kat. I've heard so much about you over the past two years. I used to work at Lululemon, you guys would know, and obviously Kat is immersed in the meditation space and Lululemon is a great platform for that. So thank you so much for making some time. Now Kat, I'd love to get into everything that you're doing in this incredible space, but before we dive right into that, I know it's going to be a great conversation. Bring it right back to the beginning and what was life like for Kat John growing up?
1: Oh, Growing up. So, um, I mean, I had a really beautiful family, still have a beautiful family. They, you know, yeah, grew up super loving, mum and dad, big older brother, um, nice loving home. But for me personally, growing up, it was really tough um, on the inside, you know, uh, on the inside, inside of my head. um, I was struggling with a lot of demons that uh, I didn't know how to handle and I didn't know how to deal with. And uh, that made, I guess, life harder than it needed to be and probably harder than what it already was um you know so beliefs in my head that you know something's wrong with me or something's bad about me and um yeah you know I I, I struggled a lot with um bulimia and obsessive compulsive disorders um from from any from a childhood early childhood experience so yeah I I, I struggled growing up Um, I mean, I I had lots of friends, I was in the popular group and all of that, all of that. But in terms of knowing who I was and having a, I guess, an identity and a value system that I had integrity to, uh, that just wasn't me. So it it kind of led me down some, um, some pathways that, yeah, led to internal, internal damage.
0: Wow. Okay. And I'm not sure if you've explored that space before, but did you ever come to the realisation of where that, those sort of things um, originated from?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, look, I talk very openly about um, when I was six years old, I was sexually abused and it was, you know, I mean, anyone who was experienced that I mean it's just it's fucked up sorry I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast am I (laughs) put the explicit on there um it's you know it was no one no one no one no one deserves for that to take place and um I remember when it did I thought at the time have I done something wrong like what have I done wrong am I in trouble um what should I do? Should I say something? Should I do something, not do something? And all I remember at that time was saying to myself, just pretend to be asleep, just pretend to be asleep and just make it, maybe it'll go all the way. So that was at six years old. And then when I was 10, um, it all kind of like sparked back up. I remember being at school and just had this flash of memory and I thought, whoa, where did that come from? Um, I could feel it in my body. I could, I could see it super clearly in my mind. And I remember telling my brother who I still do have a very close relationship with, but when I told him, he told me to, to not talk about it. He said, I think you're lying. Um, this never happens. So just don't talk about it. So that was like a, that really fucked with me. Um, I had this knowing something happened when I was younger, but couldn't, couldn't consciously remember it but stuff was coming up and someone who I trusted had said that which then made me think oh am I messed up is something wrong with me and then I remember I was um, hanging out with a mate of mine I think I was in year seven and I shared it with her and when I told her um, her response was oh but it happened all the way back then like you know nothing's happening now so I guess what was taking place was I was trying to find a safe space to open up and I wasn't finding a safe space. And then when I was 12, I was in year eight and I was being aggressive at school. And one of my friends said, dude, what's going on? And I told her about it and she said, I think you need help. I think you need someone to talk to. So I went to the school counsellor who then suggested for me to go home and talk to my parents about it. And my mum was away in America at the time. Um, and I remember telling my, my dad and my brother was there as well. And my dad just got angry. He, he got angry and he said, why did not you tell us any earlier? And I remember him standing up and getting frustrated and I just ran to my room and cried. And so it all kind of stemmed from that. So I had, I had a one-off childhood experience, but then I was trying to, um, figure out what this all meant. But I guess the response that I was getting only made life harder. And that's when all the internalisation started to really ramp up uh, in my teenage years.
0: that is so horrible to experience at such a young age, experience at any age, but your mm-hmm. innocence was lost so young. and For sure. Like in that time that you were looking to, um, to open up to people, it was just being dismissed. And I can understand how that would have, you know, made you look internally and realise that, mm-hmm. you know, this may, maybe something's wrong with me, which is a horrible feeling. And I guess that explored through your childhood. So what happened next through those teenage years? How did you combat, you know, that, what, what was your process?
1: So through, through the teenage years, I guess what I then, how I then dealt with that was I buried it um, and just was like, this is too fucking painful. Every time I bring this up, it just is more pain. So I'm just going to bury it. But the way that then that then got expressed was I then um, I got a boyfriend very, young. So I was, I was 14 when I had my first boyfriend and we were together for four years, but I was looking for, I was wanting to attach myself to someone that I felt um, safe and loved and all the rest with. And he was a good boyfriend. He was actually really good for me. Um, so I was, I was looking external to, to, I guess, soothe my, um, inner discomfort, and inner pain. And then I also developed um, obsessive compulsive behaviors. So, um, you know, my, my wardrobe was constantly rearranged in color order or black to white or, you know, height order. And I would kind of, I would do that, which I didn't know at the time to relieve this anxiety internally. So I was trying to fix everything on the outside for it to be right so I could feel better on the inside and I would do the same with books I'd I'd height order them then color coordinate them then I would author you know uh, name them and then alphabetically name them and I was always fixing always fixing and I remember um, I tried to I set myself a little test and I tried to leave a piece of paper slightly out of alignment when I went to bed and I just got this rush of heat through my body and this rush of of uh, anxiety. I didn't know what anxiety was, but now I know what it was. And I just had to go and fix it. I had to go and fix it. So that's sort of what was taking place behavior behaviorally. And also I was making myself throw up. Yeah. Look, I was, I was in a, I was in a messy place and I was angry. I was very reactive. Um, gave my parents a lot of fucking hell and was really, I guess, pushing back, but didn't know why I was pushing back, but upon reflection, I could really see that it was kind of like my fuck you to everyone. Um, no one's hearing me, no one's believing me. So fuck you. I'm I'm I feel so terrible in the inside that I kind of made my reality like that as well.
0: Wow. Okay, I'm actually blown away. I've got goosebumps sitting here mm. recording this conversation. So do you think that the control over those sort of things in your life, like um, the obsessive compulsive disorder with things being in the line and aligned and color corded was your way of controlling things that you couldn't potentially control during your younger years. Hundred percent,
1: a hundred percent. And look, to be honest, it's still with me now. Um, you know, I still have this this pattern inside of me that whenever I'm starting to feel out of control or I feel like my space is being invaded, and it's all obviously stories in my head that's where i'll go i'll go to okay what can i what can i fix i can make the bench look nice i can make the pillows fluffed i can make this like that and and that i mean look I, i've got way more wraps of it now but that that went into my early 20s of of you know always needing to fix it, fix things and neaten things fix things and neaten things um absolutely to, to to try and control the uncontrollable internally
0: How did you not having the ability to open up to other people influence your ability to open up later in your life?
1: Well, I guess um, the funny thing is I always, I continued to try to open up. I was was desperate. So I I would tell it to my boyfriend um, and I, I, I was seeking to, but what started to happen is because I was so desperate to open it up, I was seeking, I was seeking the, 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 the poor you I was seeking the oh my god that is terrible I was seeking it was almost I was almost becoming dramatic about it um so I was I would still try and do my best to open up about it and I would almost make excuses like I'm fucked up because of that because that happened I'm like this because that happened so I still continued to, to try and open up, but it was a, in a very toxic way. It was in a very toxic way, and that that led me to later on in my teens, sort of like 18, 19, that's when I hit the drug scene. Um, I still had all of this confusion internally and this pain internally, so I went and hit the drug scene. I broke up with my boyfriend when I was in year 12 um, and just kind of went, fucking, I need, I want to like, I want to just party. My friends would party. I was a massive people pleaser. I wanted to do anything to to fit in as well. So whatever my friends did, I kind of did. And um, that taking drugs, it freed me for a moment of any internal disturbance, but because I started taking them quite frequently and consistently, I then, it then kind of started to turn on me. So when I was out, I would I would hallucinate and I'd see a lot of dragons and I would see like past stuff flash back into my into into you know whatever I was hallucinating and I thought oh my fucking god what's going on here um, I gotta, I'm I got to like this is freaking me out so it, it then took it to that place
0: well and I guess. I think it's important to reflect here. What was happening in your life outside of that party scene? Did you always crave that ability to go back and and get into the party scene, or were you just leading a standard nine to five job? Talk to us a little bit about your lifestyle outside of the the party scene.
1: Um, I was I was work I was studying to be a registered nurse, so I was going to university, um, and I was working at a hairdressing salon at that time to to make money. Um I was single at that time. So, you know, yeah, I was I was I was working, I was studying, but then I was also partying. Um so I was kind of living this, you know, I had responsibilities and um, you know, I had to do shit at home and um like wash cars and all the kind of stuff and, and help out and contribute. But then that those three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or often it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, they were my bender days of like fucking forget everything.
0: Wow absolutely crazy Kat and I guess everyone mm. now knows you as that bubbly vibrant carefree <laughs> person but it's just crazy to see where you have come from and, and what has influenced your decision to get to that and I guess the question Kat what influenced your decision to turn your life around and become this bubbly carefree personality that everyone knows and loves?
1: Well you know I was I've I, I kind of have these two sides to me, and look, I think everyone does. Um, there, I, I, I had this like dark, demonic, fucked up side to me, and then I had this bubbly side to me as well. So there was two two things going on. I guess I just before I hid the um, the dark side and then put on the happy front. Whereas these days, I'm I show up. And I talk about my darkness or I talk about my fucked upness very openly and freely and then choose to be another way, which is choose to be present or choose to be happy or choose to be content. So what led to that was a couple of things. Um, I guess when I was taking drugs and I could see all the, the hallucinate, hallucination things, there was one time when I was coming down and no one was home. I was sitting in the rumpus room and I was watching Oprah. And she was interviewing a psychologist on the show um, and it was like just, it was just these words that like pierced the fucking bubble that I need to pierce. And, and the psychologist said, whoever has been sexually abused needs to know it's not their fault. And I remember it was like everything around me silenced and this it was like an internal atomic bomb went off and I just breathed this like and fucking cried and cracked and it was just years and years and years of pain spilling out through my tears and it was in that moment I thought fuck this. I need to deal with this. I'm not going to keep this inside of me because other people are uncomfortable dealing with this. And it was my, it was my fuck it moment. It was my zero fucks moment where I just thought, nah, I, I am, I'm, I'm going after this. I'm, I'm peeling this back. I'm bringing it up again. And so I reached out to my mom and my dad and I said, I have to heal this. I'm fucked up. I'm, I'm I messed up. And I hate being the way that I am and I have to dig into this and I need your support. I'm asking you for your support. And to which they supported me and they, they, um, they backed me and it was very uncomfortable, super uncomfortable conversation to have um, because I could see how, how bad they felt and um, how much shame they had around this. So I went off on you know my, my little counselling sessions and all the rest, but I, I first said to them, I feel like I can't go on this quest without Matt, my brother, um, acknowledging what happened. And so my dad reached out to my brother and, and said, hey, you know, um, my full name's Katrina. So he said, Katrina has, has said to us this and she would like your support too. And my brother turned around and said to my dad, you know, I'm going to let her know that I actually do believe her. And I always have believed her because the same thing happened to me right before it happened to her when, when I was six and I was told to shut up about it, to not say anything about it, which is why I told her when she was 10 to do that. So my dad was then just like, loaded with two now of his children being sexually abused by someone who my parents had asked to look after us and this just then opened up the next fucking can of worms so I guess I went on this this journey of 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 healing and I started reading books of Louise Hay you can heal your life and she had been through similar experiences and I thought fuck if she can do it I can do it and I was looking in the mirror you know saying these affirmations but not believing them and that I guess started the quest, but then I think I must've been 20, 19, 20, but then as I was taking drugs and as this was going on, um, chronic pain or this, this pain flared up in my body when I was out partying and I thought, what the fuck is that? That's not, you know, that's not muscular pain or joint pain. That's something else. What the hell is it? Um, so at around 2021, 20, I stopped taking the the, the party drugs because I was going into nursing, um, in, into hospitals. But this pain was so bad that uh, I started to then take prescribed medication. So I was taking Valium and Endone and Oxycodone and all the rest. Um, and you know, by the age of 23, that chronic pain—well, the pain had become chronic. It was had gotten so bad, and my hands were really puffy and my legs were really puffy and. I wasn't sleeping well um, and I, I was I was slowly, you know, becoming like a, you know, a little gremlin. I was unhappy again and I was, um, in, I was in pain 24, 24-7. So I shifted from traditional nursing to working for a plastic surgeon um, just to try and normalise the hours because shift work would make it worse, would make this pain worse. So I thought, how can I still nurse but not, in those kinds of conditions. So I started working for this plastic surgeon and then three months into that job, I went to walk down a set of stairs and I just couldn't fucking walk. I didn't know how to walk. I my boss looked at me and he's like, what are you doing? I said, dude, I don't know how to fucking walk. Like I'm stuck. And he said, are you serious? I said I'm deadly serious. I don't know how to put my foot forward. So we went over to the Epworth hospital. He took me over to the Epworth. Um, I got an MRI, and 20, 48 hours later, we got the report and we had no idea what it fucking meant. So he organised um, an appointment with a neurosurgeon. Um, my mum and I went to see him, and we thought everything should be cool. Maybe he'll give us a few different other medications. Um, but he told me I needed to have brain surgery um, ASAP because in six months, I may be a paraplegic from this condition that I had and we were just like what the fuck so I know this is a long answer to your short question because this is this is the the I guess the dark the last piece of darkness that I experienced where I then had to either choose to get out of this life because I fucking hated it or to make a new way forward so we had I had the surgery everyone was super hopeful that everything would. Would be fixed because I was in a lot of pain. I was I was taking myself out of life. I was not going out. I was I was wanting to stay at home. I was in bed a lot. I was getting really fat. Um, I wasn't exercising, so I had the surgery and um, everything fixed structurally, but the pain didn't go away. My nerves had been so badly damaged over the six year period or five year period that. They they were they were functioning differently, so you know a, a beautiful nerve will will just fire off you know their 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 synapses and do what they're meant to do and coordinate with the brain and everything will work well. But mine were like kinked. If you think of a you know a kinked tube, mine were like that. So that's why I had all of this pain internally. So my surgeon put me on antipsychotics, um, which tried to reroute. Um, the nerve conduction and, and stop my brain from experiencing pain. And then that just fucking blacked out my soul. That was like the last piece of the puzzle where I just thought, Oh my God, if I go on another day, like this blacked out, I was, I was being so terrible at work and to everyone around me. And I hated life. I hated life. I thought, if I go on for one more day, I just, I can't even bear the thought of that. So I reached out to my family and just said, I fucking need help. This is, this isn't good. Um, And then that's what led to, to really making a change moving forward.
0: It's almost like you are born again.
1: Oh, fuck. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah.
0: Well, Kat, okay. and I'm just going to backtrack a little bit to back when you were sitting on the couch watching Oprah and you had that epiphany and that realisation that, holy shit, this is not your fault. Something mm. that you, you know, you faced when you were six years old is now surfacing when you are in your 20s, and I guess it's, it's relevant to some people in society and in the community that are experiencing those issues. And I know it's highly personalised, but do you have any bits of advice for people that are experiencing something similar Look, I think oh, I'll share it from from
1: from my personal my personal self, and maybe it'll resonate with with those. Uh, for me, I had to share. I had to fucking get it out, you know. And I knew that I had gotten it out, but I needed to get it out in a way that that would allow me. And because I was I was at that age where I was young. You know, if I if if I got it out now, then I would like cool. I'm going to go see a coach, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. Because I was young, I was still seeking parental guidance, so they were the first point of call. So the way that it worked for me when when I just had enough, I I had enough, and that was probably one of the steps, right? I just had fucking enough. So the way that I guess I started to to get myself out of it was I had to own that I really wanted to change my life you know that that little piece of Oprah and that psychologist pierced something and it opened something up up, opened something up in me to say I've fucking had enough of this I've had enough. I want another way forward. And so then for me, my next step was to share about it and kind of like with conviction, say you fuckers are helping me. If you're not helping me, point me in the right direction. So I guess for, for, for anyone out there, what helped myself was that I, I needed to back myself and, and take, kind of control even though I was 18 19 at the time of how I wanted it to be moving forward
0: I think that's a really really important bit of advice yeah and we're going to go into the processes of all that later on but another thing influenced me and not influence, I guess really inspired me to ask another question along the way and you mentioned that your brother experienced something exactly the same when he was a young kid mm. how did your approach to opening up influence his healing and did, did that impact his journey as well?
1: Um, him and I, he and I are quite different. So I, I outwardly heal. I mean, yes, I internally heal, but then I like to talk about it and share about it and, and help, um, others through my own sharing. Um, my brother went on his own journey and he's, he's always been quite private, about it. Um he's done his own stuff. He's he's seen his own people. Um we don't really talk about it. We have a few times, um, but we don't really talk about it. Um but yeah he's he's done his own but it's been I guess a quieter journey. Um you know and, and he's he's in a really good place. He's you know he's done his own inner work. Um, whether it sparked him again I'm not sure, but we've just done it in our own different ways.
0: Everyone here is in their own time and has their own approaches. So it's very personal. Now, fast tracking a little bit forward to when you were faced with this, another hurdle in your already crazy, you know, childhood when you're sitting in front of the doctor and they've just told you that you've got a degenerative brain condition. What were the emotions going through your brain at the moment? Paint the picture for the listeners at home
1: when I was told that I needed to have brain surgery?
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, Well, first things first, my mum came to meet me after work because I used to work across the road from the Epworth and she's this cute little Filipino lady. (laughs) And in the lift she said a prayer (laughs) and we were like, Oh, you know, we think it'll be fine. Maybe I'll just need some acupuncture or some different medication. Right. So we were pretty hopeful. And then when, the neurosurgeon shared what he said, my mum and I were just like stunned, were absolutely stunned to the point where we said, can you repeat that? Can you, can you repeat that again? Um, and I remember like, just, I remember being in there. My mum was listening intently. I was listening intently. We are both just nodding our heads the surgeon was drawing it and he's like, right, so do you want to have a surgery within a week? And we're all like, Fuck a what? Are you serious? And he said, look, the sooner you have this, the better because what was going on was my brain, if you think of an overstuffed sausage, so the sausage there's too much meat inside of the casing. That's like my brain. The, it's called the dura. The, the, the casing around the brain is called the dura. And it's like mine was made too small, but my brain was big. And so what was trying to happen was my brain was trying to find space and room. So it started to, to herniate or go down into the cavity of, of my spinal cord and it blocked, it, it blocked CSF flow, which is cere- cerebrospinal fluid, which allows you to move freely and coordinate and, you know, it's like lubrication for the brain. So mine was blocked, and it was creating these benign tumours in my spine, and the longer I would leave it, the bigger the tumours would get, which would sever the nerve conduction, which is then what creates you not being able to feel your your arms, your legs, or anything. So he was like, surgery next week? Uh, And I remember just thinking, just just give us a fucking minute. So my mum and I left. We got in the lift we looked at each other and we both burst into tears but like was laughing and crying at the same time and we thought oh my god what how do we even tell dad and my brother and so I remember mum took me back to their place and we had dinner together and we just sat around the table and were all stunned but eager stunned but eager stunned but eager that was kind of like the the thing and I, I was only three months into my job. And I said to my boss, like, dude, if you want to fire me, that's fine because I'm a liability. You know, I've got to have surgery, which requires six weeks off. Then I've got rehab after that. And I may not be, you know, getting into, into work straight away. And he just was like, no, I'll support you. You know, I I want you here. We'll, we'll make it work. So um, I was, yeah, look, I was, I was shocked. I was, Sad. I was fucked off, um, but I was also hopeful as well that this would this would fix me. Um, it's just annoying that it didn't.
0: I'm I'm so inspired, Kat, that you know after facing so many setbacks through your whole childhood. To now have the resilience that you do now is just incredible. And I guess at that situation, no one would have turned a blind eye if, you know, you crumbled because you've been through some so like some traumatic things that no one should ever face in their life. And I Mm. guess what was your catalyst for change to saying, look, enough's enough. And I'm going to start taking control of how I want to feel and inspire others to do so in the process.
1: Yeah. So that was when I had, I was taking those antipsychotics a year after surgery and I wrote that email to my parents. Um, you know, my, I know my brother wrote an email or a letter to me and he was just like, dude, I don't know how to help you. I don't know how to be around you. Uh, we were living together. Uh, I had a boyfriend at the time as well and he was super supportive but also really scared of me. Um, I, was, I was a fucking nightmare. I was a nightmare. So when I reached out to my family and funnily enough, um, well, actually I'll tell this part in a minute, I – reached out to them they just rallied around me because they're, they're fucking legends um and my mum was a nurse she used to be a nurse but at the time she was volunteering at the Epworth Hospital for um people who were English second language uh, and she would help them out in the waiting room and fill out forms and that kind of stuff so my mum reached out to her friend, Debbie, who was working there and said, this is the situation with my daughter. I don't know if you know anyone. Can you, can you just put it out to your network? And um, Debbie's husband, Ronaldo, she spoke to Ronaldo about it um, and he's the head of ICU at, at um, the Austin and ICU Research, who then reached out to Professor Jackson, um, who was a professor of neurology and neuroscience uh, a super well-respected man, super intelligent man, but a goddamn good human. And he wrote Ronaldo wrote Professor Jackson an email and said, "This girl's pretty messed up. Um, can you help her?" Now, Professor Jackson deals with epilepsy predominantly, epilepsy research. But he read the email and he thought, "Gosh, I think I think I can help her." So I had to send all my scans, um, and, uh, and and he went through all the scans of before surgery, after surgery. And usually it takes six to nine months to see him, and he saw me within. I think it was—I don't know if it was three weeks or three months—but it was soon. It was quick. And my mum, dad, and I turned up to his office, and he gave me the fucking keys to life. He turned around to me and he said, "Look, you are—you are, you are in—you've been dealt a shit card, and you're—you are a hot mess right now. You know, you're not in a good place." He said, but you can be pain-free. You can be free. You can be pain-free. He said, but you've got to really want it. And he basically, in his own words, said, this is not about surgery. This is not about medication. He said, I believe you have the power to change this yourself if you really, really, really want this. And then he gave me the analogy of, a, of an Olympic athlete who would train every day for their gold medal. You know, that the end result, the end game was a gold medal and they would do whatever they had to do to train for that. They'd put in the effort, they'd put in the hard yards and, um, you know, with hope they would have their gold medal. To which I responded, we all do respect, I'm not an Olympic fucking athlete. So how does this resonate? How does this relate? And so he said, you know, I'm sure there's something you want, Kat. I'm sure there's something that you want, which would be your own version of a gold medal. He said, what do you want? I said, man, I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to be free to be happy, free to fucking smile, free to be nice, free to move my body. And he said, well, that's your gold medal. And now you got to train for it. And he was talking to me about, you know, visualizing and, Imagining my life the way that I wanted it to be, and imagining, um, imagining myself free, like picturing it. And I thought, "What the hell? You're a neuro- you're a neurologist. Why are you telling me this?" So, um, after a, a decent chat, and I actually interviewed him. That's what I wanted to share before. I interviewed him recently on one of my episodes, which was just the most incredible thing I've ever done, uh, or one of to, to interview him and have him share his perspective so I I took his advice and I said can I stop my pain medication can I stop these antipsychotics and he said yes you can and he said what I want you to do is take this invisible prescription for 12 months and then he said if you follow it if you follow it he said I reckon you'll be pain free and so I walked out of there with my mum and dad and I said, you know what? I'm going to chuck these fucking pills in the bin, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for this. I'm going to try. I was desperate, you know. I think sometimes desperation can be a good thing, depending upon what you're desperate for. But I was desperate for life. I was desperate to live. I was desperate to be free. So every day, this is how meditation came into my life, and visualization, and and call it manifestation. Um, this is how I learned about it. I I would wake up in the morning. I would. Put my feet on the floor. I would visualize myself free, and and what that looked like, and what that felt like, and and then I would act in favor of that vision. And so, the guidance that I was getting, and also too during that time, I was actually building this intuitive muscle. I was building intuition or my own inner voice, and listening to my own inner voice because I was being guided by fucking I don't know who, but it was internal to 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 move my body to go for a run, to do Pilates, to, to go to yoga. I don't know if yoga was a big thing back then, but it was all about moving my body because at that point I wasn't moving it at all. And so that's what I did. I I just, I I would visualize, I would act in favor of that visual and then go for it. And so within 10 months, I, I was pain-free I was fifteen to ten. I was ten to fifty. I was ten kilos lighter than what I was after ten months. Um, I was happier, and most of all, I was I was pain free. I had fucking hit the jackpot and healed myself.
0: I'm absolutely blown away Kat. that's in, that's incredible and I guess it's really really exciting for me being so immersed in this health and wellness space to see neurologists and people on the front line that are typically only involved in you sort of the western scene which is a mm-hmm. fantastic approach but they're they're promoting things that such as lifestyle medicine which are proven to have amazing results and you're the proof absolutely absolutely 100 percent. So, so incredible. I love that. Now, I love your quote, dedication to a higher vibration, and I don't know why, but it just sticks out to me. And I guess mm. what does that mean to you? What does dedication to a higher vibration mean to you? Uh,
1: look, to me, I think, you know, if I, if I even go uh, pre that that dedication to a higher vibration, um we, we have choice. You know, I think the thing that I've learned in my life is that we have choice through these, through these terrible experiences that I've experienced, we have choice. And the way that I was living before I was, I was unconsciously sometimes even consciously choosing to live a certain way that contributed to, 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 to low mood, to, to being sad consistently um, to, 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 to putting out low vibe, right? Low vibration. And I would be fucked off that that was my life, but I never took self-responsibility or recognised that I had the choice to choose something different and dedicate myself to something different. So the way that I live my life now is I, I know that automatically, automatically there's a program inside of me that, is going to want to blame and be a victim and be fucking annoyed at life and, 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 and act, act like that, you know, because if they're my thoughts and I'm going to act that way, I know that that's an automatic program in myself and maybe in a lot of people too. But what I have, what I have gifted, you know, myself in this lifetime is cool. I can choose another way. If I prefer to, to feel, like this. Prefer to feel grounded or prefer to feel open or prefer to feel present. You know, to me, that's a higher vibe. So why the fuck would I not want to feel that way? You know, because I now have choice. I have one one part of me that I could feed or I have another part of me that I can feed. And for, for, you know, the last decade, I've just dedicated myself to choosing a higher vibe life and at the same time know that I am going to feel low vibe sometimes. I am going to feel miffed and and pissed off and angry and that's okay too. It's not spiritually trying to bypass feeling like shit. It's just knowing that after I've allowed myself to feel like shit for a bit of time, you know, and, and given myself a little moment that I can choose something better and that to me is is being dedicated to something better for yourself.
0: Amazing. It's mm. evident in the law of attraction as well. If you're thinking negative and you're living your life in a negative way, there's no doubt that negative stuff is going to come your way. but if you're on the opposite end of the spectrum and and positive and and then you're going to experience positive things. Mm,
1: absolutely. and life life is about managing the two. You know, this isn't to say that when you do this kind of work and when you upskill yourself that that negative shit goes away. It doesn't. It's with you for life. It's coming with you until the day you die. When you die, you're free of that stuff. You know, that's the ultimate freedom. But in this existence, we need to learn to live with both. And I guess what I did over my life is I lived in the dark for a long time and then I wanted to, like, live super light, which was too light. And then I had to find this space in the middle, which is now where I am today, you know, that real, real, raw, relatable, you know, that's the name of my podcast, but it's, it's also, it's me, you know, I'm real, I'm raw, I'm relatable, but fuck yeah, I can go to the highest of highs and, and like tap into some pretty cool fucking spaces. And I can also feel really fucking human and, and, and miffed with life and pissed off. And that's cool too. This middle space of of existence is, it's just there's choice, you know. I, I believe that's where choice is.
0: I'm really intrigued to find out how you started something so incredible called the Zero Fucks Movement. Talk to us a little bit about that. <laughs>
1: that was so accidental, dude. That was so accidental. So I guess since using that uh, framework from when I was young about visualizing what I want and acting in favor of it, I that once I healed chronic pain. I was like, oh my God, what else do I want in my life? What else do I want for myself? What else can I go for? It unlocked and unleashed something. So I'd always use that uh, formula and still do today. So a few years ago, I had set a a vision for myself, which was to create wealth and abundance through my own creative expressions, shit that I love to do. Um, Just, you know, things that I wanted to express into the world. So that was one of my visions. And interestingly, once I was visualizing into that, my inner guidance, my answer was to dance. I was like, what the fuck, you know, how am I meant to make money through like pole dancing or like being a stripper or, you know, am I meant to start a dance class? Like what the hell? So I was I was a bit perplexed by that, but I had always danced. I'd I danced since I was a kid, and I was I used to love being on stage and and all the rest. And I, I've always loved dancing. So, and I've used dance as a as a healing tool as well. So after I got that message, I was like, Meh. All right. Well, maybe I'll go up to my loft space and dance. And I just turned on some music and I started dancing. And then uh, my you know my little voice internally was like, Why don't you record this? and i had an idea to record it and i was like okay i'll record it i don't know what i'm going to do with the fucking recording but i'll record it <laughs> and then after i had finished and i was watching back over it um, i had an idea to to share it to to just put it up online and it just just so happened to be a tuesday and i was thought oh, let's, if i'm going to do this i'll be cheeky about it and you know that was a it was a moment of giving you know zero fucks and just kind of like dancing and and being free and you know I'm free in my fucking self and and so I, I put it up I mean look t- it took me 20 minutes to post it because my dark voice was like um who the fuck do you think you are people are gonna judge you people are gonna think you're a dickhead people are gonna think you're up yourself people are gonna think you're a shit dancer and I was like wow so for 20 minutes I was debating whether I should should shouldn't should, and I just said fuck it I'm, I'm gonna post this and that's how I created um the hashtag ZF Tuesday and zero fucks Tuesday because I'm giving zero fucks but it was meant to be just one post and I sort of shared in there like this is this is something that I do to to free my shit and to feel good and I got like a fuck ton of comments um, and I well, I didn't have you know a huge a huge following back then um, when I when I posted it which was two years ago and so I got all these comments and people were saying I can't wait till next Tuesday I was like, what? what do you mean? <laughs> I went to the next fucking Tuesday. I'm just doing this once, man. And because people were like, wow, this is so inspiring. I dance on my own, but I would never post it. So brave of you to post it. I was like, shit, this, there's something in this. So I started posting it every Tuesday for the last two years. And I, I would say after six months, it just created a monster where people were all over the globe sending in videos, ha- hashtagging and, and tagging me. and tagging their friends and challenging their mates and uh, I was like what the fuck and someone reached out to me from Melbourne who owns a rooftop and said we want a ZF Tuesday here on a rooftop let's sell 150 tickets and make an event out of it which is actually kind of funny because my vision was to create wealth and abundance through my creative expressions and then someone had reached out and said let's let's do let's do an event you know, we'll, we'll give you the space and we just want a fucking kick-ass party up here. So after debating in my head to do it or not, cause I was like, oh my God, what if no one fucking comes? What if people get there and they're not dancing? What if the fucking speakers blow? Um, what, 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 what if, what if, what if I decided to do it and legit that fucker sold out within like three days. And the day of the event it was pissing down raining on an open rooftop and I'm like yep people aren't gonna come this is gonna be shit I should just cancel it and people were dancing up the stairwell soon as people rocked up they were just fucking dancing and grooving and I was like oh my god I've literally created a movement that I didn't even mean to I swear to god I didn't mean to um and from there you know corporates reach out to me for a zero fux event for their for their team you know i've had multiple events after that i did a national tour of zero fux tuesday with it and still every tuesday um, new people are jumping on board the bandwagon and, and and getting involved so it's 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 been one of the best things that i've ever created by accident
0: that is absolutely incredible. I love
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> Just Accidental by accident. success. Yeah, seriously. I love it. Seriously, seriously.
0: How amazing is the universe, right?
1: Oh, man. I, and that's it. You know, if you, this is, this is the whole thing, right? Like the zero fucks movement isn't about sticking the bird up to the world and going, fuck you. I don't care what you fucking think of me. It really is about giving zero fucks to the thoughts in your head that hold you back and make you feel small or insignificant or tell you that you can't or you're not able. You know, it's giving zero fucks to that and and then going for it, going for something that you give a shit about. And I guess what I have done in my life is, is I've done that consistently. You know, I, I've, I've gotten to a point where I've had enough of my own thoughts and chosen a, a, a better path or, as you said before, a higher vibe, a better vibe. And cool shit has then come out of that.
0: There's something magical about a state of vulnerability, Kat, and it's evident through everything through you doing at Zero Zero Fucks Tuesday. And like the people that are jumping on board and, and being vulnerable mm. for that however mm-hmm. long time they dance for. It's just it's amazing and like it's something that is inexplainable. You have to experience it to believe. A
1: hundred percent. It's an energetic thing. Right. You know, for me to say, yeah, fucking dance, fucking do it, people might be able to feel a little bit of my excitement. But once you do it and even coming to a live event, which I can't wait till COVID fucks off so I can do them again, it's it's it transcends something. You know, you know, you you people rock up and, and they're uncomfortable and they're awkward and they're like, oh my god, what a fucking bird wouldn't think. And then like three, four, maybe five songs in, oh my God, the whole place is like a wild zoo. You know, it's like all the animals are let out of their cages, and they're like, "Fuck this! We're having a ball." <laughs> you know, we're free.
0: I've seen videos so, yeah. from that event. It is absolutely <laughs> amazing. I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It really
0: is. A good mate of mine, Tyson Venable. Shout out to you, Tyson. Oh, he he yes. um, posts videos of it all the time, and I love watching it. It's hilarious. It's go- so oh, good. He's so
1: good. Well, actually, him and Emma met. At my at one at one of my at my first ZeroFox event. That's when they like oh,
0: exactly. I want to like you. Exactly. You know, <laughs> it's so wicked <laughs> Amazing. Look at him now. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Kat, I guess this is amazing. I love the power of vulnerability, but it's such a foreign territory for a lot of people out there. And I guess how can people experience this wonderful vibration? And what are your first steps as someone that is just facing the door of vulnerability and doesn't know how to go through? Oh,
1: you know what, it's, it is such a fucking process. And I know that's, a sh- that's an annoying thing to say. But I think the thing, again, I always like to share from my personal experience, um, I, for myself, I just got jack of, of holding back. I got jack of it. I got jack of listening to myself have conversations with others about how I'm holding myself back. You know, I, I got sick of I got sick of it. I got sick of missing out on on the cool shit. You know, I got sick of my own patterns. I got sick of my own behaviour and I got sick of missing out on potentially meeting or having the relationship, the ultimate relationship I wanted, because I would turn up to dates, I would turn up to, you know, first dates with with guys and I would be this false sense of self. I'd put on a front. I was not vulnerable. I was not myself. Being yourself is vulnerable. You know, owning yourself is vulnerability. Being who you truly fucking are is vulnerability. And I was not prepared to do that. I was not prepared to get rejected for being actually who I was. So I prefer to be rejected for someone I was pretending to be. And I got jack of that. I got jack of the same results. And also I got jack of blaming. This is using, I guess, dating as an example. I was like, fuck you, men what the fuck's wrong with you? Why the fuck don't you love me? I'm fucking awesome. And then I had to look at myself again and go, no, dude, you're not showing up as you are. You're putting on this false sense of self. And I know it's to protect you. I know it's there to keep you safe. But what are you missing out on? Because you're not showing up as you are, AKA being vulnerable. And that's how I started to unravel myself. So that would be, you know, again, I like to share from personal experience. Otherwise, I'm just sharing from, you know, I, I like to, I like it that way. So that was my personal way, and um, that's what I would recommend.
0: Great bits of advice. Eka. Okay. and you did say it's a process, and that process is very individualized for each person, and there's steps along sure. the way. But I guess empowering yourself within those steps and taking one step at a time and, and you know, you're going to seek fulfilment in, in each individual step. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's really relevant in the situation that's going on in the world at the moment, in particular in Victoria. Everyone would know we're currently in stage four lockdowns, we can only go out for an hour and a day, only exercise. This is some of the potentially the most damaging time in some people's lives. How can we adopt the mindset that you adopted, and you said enough's enough, and, and put it into self development and self growth, and use this unique time to put into investing in ourselves, Kat?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's um, it's look, it is a really tough time. I think there's been so many fundamental things that that contribute to our overall happiness that have been removed. Um, you know that 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 connection piece of of touching someone and hugging someone and seeing another person smile, um, you know, with because we're wearing masks. That I mean by that, you know, you, we can't see people's faces anymore. That there are little pieces that have been taken away, and I think because it's been a, such a sustained period of time that we have been in this, it's really eating away at people. So, you know, it's very easy to get into that again that victim mindset. You know, what the, what's the fucking point? fuck this you know whatever else and i guess where i come from and the way that i the way that i process things is external conditions in life are always going to be taking place and some are going to be fucking awesome and some are going to be less than ideal and when we have true power we have true power when the external conditions even though they might be so intense or so full on we when we don't allow external conditions to fuck with us, and what I mean by that is that we have a, a structure or, or tools or things in place that, that keep us in a tip-top state, then, then whatever is going on in the outside world, it's not insignificant, but it just doesn't mess with you. You know, people are always asking me, how am I dealing with things? How am I coping with things? You know, what are we going to do when, if this thing isn't out of sight? I'm like, I don't fucking know. I'm not focused on that. I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on how I can take care of myself through, and that's through moving my body, through meditating every day, through staying connected to the visions that I still want to create, even though I can't create a lot of them right now during COVID. I'm focused on that. I'm focused on how I can be showing up best for myself and then my family and then my community that's what i'm focused on so the world can can fall apart and and i'm i'm not really focusing on it and whether or not that's that's turning a blind eye or not i don't think so because i'm aware of what's going on i'm aware we're in lockdown i'm aware that this may go on for fucking a long time and i still have my moments of shit you know i miss my family i miss i miss hugging people i have that too i for sure have that I miss traveling. Like I was meant to get married this year in Vanuatu and I was like, see you later. I was meant to have a national tour this year. See you fucking later. I was meant to have all these group trainings in person this year. See you fucking later. And I could have got very miffed about that, but I can't change that. But I can change how I show up. And if I want to show up in a way that feels really good or even just good, then there are things that I could be focusing on that that um, will serve that will serve that goal will serve that intention so that's how I deal with things how, how I am dealing with things during this time and that's the advice that I would give to others as well I know it's fucking hard I get it I get it I get it and I think what this time is also showing is is um, the state of our mentality and if If you are struggling, if you are battling, if you're not in an okay space, then then this is your time for growth. You know, this is your time for that development.
0: Definitely. We're in a very unique situation that we have so many people reaching out for support. There's amazing networks out there. So please guys, utilize them. And there was a statistic that I read the other day off a platform that calls to Lifeline are up 5,000%. And for me, that is an incredible thing that people are seeking that, you know, external resource and utilizing it you know, in a time of need, I'm really happy to see that. Obviously, the situation mm. isn't great, but from a positive situation, people are utilising the resources. And out of those 5,000 people, their lives have been saved. So it's it's an incredible thing to focus on. Absolutely. And now, Kat, uh, another <laughs> analogy that we always use in cricket, which is my sport that I play all the time, is control the controllables. And cricket's such a game where you can't Mm. control anything. You you really can only control how you show up. And I think that's a great uh, analogy for how we can control the things in our life at the moment. Now, Kat. Absolutely. If you were to walk down the street and you were to run into a teenage version of yourself, what would you say to her knowing that you know now?
1: Oh, Wow. Firstly, I'd give her a really fucking big hug. I'd give her a really big hug. And uh, I would I would say to her, oh, it's such a great question. Oh, there's so many things that I'd say to her. Yeah, firstly, I'd give her a big fat hug. And I would say to her that she's allowed to say no. And I know that sounds really weird. But Cat as a teenager, me as a teenager, uh, the people pleaser in me fucked, fucked me, fucked me, fucked me hard, you know. And I know that it's led me to to, to who I am today. You know, I said yes to things I really didn't want to say yes to. And, you know, one of the things that I would say to her is it's okay to say no. And that by 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 saying that to her, by saying no, you're saying yes to something else. And maybe that yes is to yourself. Maybe that yes is to your soul. That yes is to something that is good for you. And that that yes is is ownership of self. You know, I think as a teenager, I I sold, I sold a lot of myself um, off and then would just do anything for anyone. So I'd give her a hug. And I tell her she's allowed to say no and and why that no would mean something so powerful.
0: Well, okay, I'm blown away by your resilience. You've been so inspiring during today's episode, and i'm I'm really excited to share this with the the broader community. Um, I'm so grateful for your vulnerability today and um, just for creating some time to to share your journey. So thank you very much. My pleasure, Maddie, Thank you so much for reaching out. Before we cap off the show, Kat, talk to us a little bit about your podcast. I know you've got an incredible podcast on the moment called Raw and Relatable. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. Awesome. Talk to us Uh, a little bit about that. When did that start for you?
1: So, yeah, it's uh, Real Raw Relatable. That's That's the podcast. Sorry. (laughs) Yes. No, 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 not at all. Um, I started this just over a year ago. So it was July 1st. I pressed launch um, that was also another little uh, gold nugget I was in my I was doing a visualization about something that I wanted and the guidance that I got was to create a podcast and it actually said call it real raw relatable Now um, it is it is really a space where I share I share super openly I'd go through um, past experiences I share deep into my thoughts the dark thoughts the how I get out of those dark thoughts. Um, there are some interviews with with other people as well that always link back to the essence of being real, raw, relatable, real guidance, raw truths, and relatable stories. Um, and it's it really is. There's an underlying message in there that no matter what is going on in your life, you are responsible for changing it. Um, I guess because I'm a living example of that, um, I really believe that. And and my my mission in there is to is to help others be the leader of their own life, to take self responsibility and. I do that through sharing, um, just sharing sharing my shit. Um, and it seems to be working because uh, that podcast has taken off. So, yeah.
0: Incredible. And you took the next question, answered it in that little spiel there. I love it. <laughs> Your main message and why you get out of bed every day. What is there any other things that resonate for you and why do you get out of bed each and every day, Kat?
1: I think for me, you know, i I know what it's like to suffer. And I think when when you've found a formula, you've found a key, multiple keys, even to, to be able to live this life where it's just not so fucking bad, you know, where it's actually okay, and it's actually great, and it's actually wow. Um, for, when you have that, I think it's your duty to share that with others, and. I know I can't save the whole world, but I can fucking help a fuckload of them. So, the fact that I've been able to go from such a life of pain into a, a life of being powerful—my um, my, my get-up is—I got to share that. I got to fucking share that gold and and that goodness with other people, and and I will do that till the day I die.
0: And it is evident through everything that you're doing in the lifestyle that you're leading, Kat. It's so inspiring. Um, and as, as I mentioned before, I thank you so much for your time today. It's been incredible getting to know your story and, and thank you for being so vulnerable. Where can people get in contact with you? Where can people listen to your podcast?
1: <laughs> um, I think the best place, if you don't already go follow me on Instagram, you'll get like a really cool snapshot of, of who I am and how I show up and, and, uh, also ZF Tuesday. So that's cat.john, cat.john. Um, my podcast can be found on Spotify and also on iTunes. so it's called Cat John is real raw relatable. Um, or you can also check out my website catjohn.com.au um, that's got a lot of information on there. you can subscribe to to my channels and to emails um, so yeah that's where you can where you can find me.
0: I'll have the direct links in the show notes for you guys, Kat. I'm really excited to listen to that interview that you did with your neurologist. I think it would be extremely powerful. I can't wait to put that on straight after this.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you. Amazing. Thank you, mate. Have a great day. You too. What did you think of that one, guys? I'd love to hear your feedback. If you listen to the show, take a screenshot, share it around on socials, tagging the Euphoria page and page on instagram i'd also love to know what you think of the show and if you've got a spare moment head over to itunes and leave a rating and review it would mean the absolute world to me well that's all i've got for you this week guys hopefully you have a happy healthy week and i'll see you next time